right. Thank you all for being here. Very excited uh, for this evening. And so to get us started, I would like to welcome Chief Brian Richard with El Dorado County Probation, who is also a past CPOC president who will get us started. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rosie. appreciate that. Good evening, everybody. It's very nice to see you all here tonight. Um, real honor for me to be here uh, for a number of reasons. Um, one, because I'm in Marlin Yarbrough County and giving opening remarks, and I appreciate that. Uh, Marlin and I go way, way back. I respect the work that, uh, that he does in Sacramento County uh, and the work that his predecessor did. Another good friend of mine, um, the former chief probation officer in Sacramento County, and the work that's been going on in Sacramento County is really reflective a lot of work that's going on throughout California relative to resource families and foster care uh, as it relates to the probation uh, business. And, um, and I think that's where I want to start tonight is, you know, so many people are surprised when I share with them the work that we do in probation relative to foster youth. No one, frankly, is aware that foster youth and foster care services are things that are responsibilities of the probation department. You think foster kids, you think child welfare, or what pe most people still call CPS. Uh, and nobody thinks about it relative to the probation department. They know we work with kids at risk. They know we work with kids in need. But they never consider that some of those needs extend all the way to providing just the basic resources of life, which are a family that is here to take care, provide love uh, to our kids. And so part of my mission for the last 25 years as I've worked in probation and the last 15 as a probation chief has been to communicate that message that we have children that are in as much need and have received and experienced as much trauma and as much neglect as the kids that are in the child welfare system. And that's not to say that our kids are more or less important, but that they exist. And I think it's important for us to continue to communicate that message because although we have doubled the percentage of youth who have found foster care placement with resource families since 2019 from 5% to 10%, that number is way too low. 10% is not an acceptable number. That we have to continue to teach people out there in the community that this need exists, that it exists within the probation sphere, and that we need to continue to do more to provide services to these kids. And that these kids aren't different. That these kids are the same kids that we see in the child welfare system that have suffered abuse and neglect. It's just that they've converted from one system to another because they happen to get caught, right? And so for me, it's, um, it was really inspiring to, to watch Jetro's story. Uh, watch the video, and for those of you that have seen it, uh, you know what I'm saying when I say that the Gaines family is, of course, an exceptional family. Um, most of us, if when asked, uh, can you take this at-risk kid into your home? Um, we'd have to think two, three, four times before we said yes. But the Gaines didn't do that once, they did that twice, which makes them exceptional. And, uh, and that's why it is also a pleasure and an honor for me to be here tonight, uh, because I think part of what we're doing tonight, not just raising awareness on this subject, but to honor the families that have taken that step towards providing love, care, and support for kids that are in need of these types of services. And the gains are an example of that, but I would say an exceptional example of that. Uh, and so to them, I say thank you um, for living and talking uh, the walk and walking the walk that we ask so many people. 
In addition to that, uh, this is a story that just needs to be told. Um, this is a story uh, that is repeated so many times throughout California and throughout our nation with kids that are in need of support and love from meaningful adults, uh, well-positioned adults in our community. And, uh, and so often they are left to the system. Now, in my department, and I know in Chief Yarber's department, uh, we talk about things like compassion and care, and yes, we talk about love. That it is so important for us, not just with our juvenile uh, clients, but with our adult clients to express love toward them. And that's really what our expression of compassion is about. And that if we forget that component, we're really doing them a disservice. But we're limited. The, the way that the system can react and respond to kids in need is very limited. And so for us, developing resources in the community, specifically resources with families, is critically important. And we recognize that as practitioners. We recognize that as experts in the provision of these services. We cannot do it alone. And the further in need a youth is, the deeper we need to form that commitment between government and the community to make sure that these kids are taken care of. So the story that you'll see tonight I think tells exceedingly well an example of how this can work. Does it always work? No. Is this story open and honest about that? Yes, absolutely. This is not flawless. This is not Pollyanna. This is not, hey, and if you just do this, it'll all work out fine. It talks about the realness of how these situations might go. And that sometimes there's a rough start, and sometimes there's a rough middle. But if we do everything that we possibly can and we do pour ourselves into this, that we might just not have a rough end. We might have an end that ends differently than it might otherwise look if people didn't get involved. So I just wanted to give you a brief overview of tonight's program. Uh, I will be stepping down in a moment, welcoming uh, another speaker to the stage. And then we'll be viewing our documentary. And there will be a panel discussion tonight about what you will have the opportunity to see. And so, again, I want to welcome you, uh, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your evening to come and share this event. Uh, I think it's critical. I think that it will be uh, a, a real good, strong tool for departments like mine to be able to utilize to encourage other people in the community to step forward and do what the gains have done time and again. So thank you again for being here. And now, I'm assuming, assuming that this is correct, I'll be welcoming Cheryl Treadwell to the stage. She's the branch chief of safety prevention and early intervention from the California Department of Social Services. And I say good night to you. Um, I am happy to be here. I'm really excited about this. And I thank you for your leadership, Rosie. I know that this has been a journey over the last few years. And it you have helped to take this work to a transformative level in these last few years. Uh, and I'm happy to see in Sacramento County probation to see Marlon Yarber again, because we have come full circle. And I know the journey. So he's been involved in doing this transformational work in this space for a long time. So I'm not surprised that we meet again in this season. 
And once again, to see Lori Coppy doing this work, a credit to you for this work, and all the folks that put in the work to make this project successfully. I especially want to thank the Gaines family and Jethro uh, for being transparent and sharing. And my hope uh, in these few minutes that you watch this, uh, this video, that the message will travel far and wide, and that it will demonstrate that there's still hope for our youth, uh, that the, the opportunity can be rewarding if you're willing to put in the work and do the partnership and team with others. I also think that what you will see what you will hear and what you will experience is what are the benefits when people work together, when, they, when the supports align, when the commitment and passion becomes a calling and not a job. Um, when you, what you will see is what we call these protective capacities, if you want to know that formalized word. But what you will see is the nurturing and sort of the bonding experience, the unconditional love and the care the demonstration of how it's important to understand youth development, uh, helping to change that mindset. The benefits of knowing what it takes when people have your back, that when you can call and they will come and they will answer the call. Uh, and that is something that I think when you have that common goal to promote that health, healthy development is really important of what you're seeing and allowing youth to release those emotional shackles. Hillary and, and Kevin are exemplary people we know they are exemplary resource parents. They walk that walk in their professional and their personal lives. And to me, they're blessed because they have a natural gifting ability to put in the work. And I just hope this mini documentary carries the message that generates motivation, generates inspiration, and a personal call to action for all the partners that are involved. And I would just like to end with a quote that was posted today on the uh, website of the Administration of Children and Families by Aisha Schomburg. She says, let's celebrate those who open their hearts to children and youth and young adults, those who know the joyous feeling of a bubbling heart or, or who experience the magic, those who celebrate the nurturing resources that parent and kin, care kin caregivers can bring. Let's celebrate those youth and young adults who have stared trauma in the face and still have a heart to keep going. We celebrate the magic that extends, uh, that lives in the extended family and the community members and the partners who wrap their arms around the family, whether it's for a lifetime or it's for the right time. And we celebrate this notion of all for all. We celebrate the Zulu term of Humbutu. Humbutu is an African word that can be translated to mean humanity to others. But what do we? carry that magic forward for fostering more of that support for our resource parents, our kin care caregivers, and young adults. It says, I am because we are. So thank you. Journey. I think it's been uh, touched on a little bit in both um, Chief Richard's comments and in uh, Cheryl's. And I think um, really we want to find every county probation department, we want them to find their Gaines family. We want them to find many Gaines families because we know that there are many youth out there who need that love and support and that type of nurturing home. Even if it's only for a brief period of time and they can reunite with their family, that moment of time and when they are presented with significant challenges at a time in their life, 
that is when the Gaines family is so important. And so really what we wanted to do is to be able to tell the story, to break down barriers and to really demystify what it is to work with probation departments. And when we spoke, both of the speakers have spoken to the need for unwavering support. And I think that unwavering support comes in many different forms. It comes from probation departments, child welfare departments who are supporting the resource families. It comes from the state who provide the services. I think really probation's work in resource family approval uh, really grew out of CCR. It wasn't something that was as much, it was more probably um, partnered with child wef welfare earlier. And it's really something that probation has embraced and really expanded being able to both um, promote and support relatives who are able to take in their family members, but also non-relatives who are able and willing to take in a youth who is in need of a supportive home. But that takes a lot of support, again, with the state, with probation, with foster family agencies, a team of individuals who can be there at any point in time when someone needs something and when that youth needs help. And I think one of the other important things that were touched on, uh, we know with anyone, adolescence is a very difficult time and people make choices and perhaps it's not the right choice, but having somewhere to come back to, to say, okay, let's regroup. What do we need to do? You're welcome back into our home. And then having the bravery for the young person. I think Chetro showed a lot of bravery, courage to say, I, I don't really know these people very well, but I'm, I'm gonna take a chance and I'm gonna believe in them and for them to open up back their home because it's a process, right? So I think that is the story that we need to told. Um, and from the perspective of what it is for a justice involved youth to be in the foster care system and supported. And so we achieved that and so much more. And so um, the journey was uh, embarked on before COVID, if you can believe that, now we're in 2023. And so um, also want to just note some thank yous to those that were involved in the project. It certainly um, took a whole lot of people to make this happen, just like it takes a whole lot of people to support a young life and to help them be successful. So first I want to support and thank um, Department of Social Services because certainly without um, their um, encouragement and support for the project, we would not be here today. Jetro, as I mentioned, none of us would be here if he uh, wasn't willing, one, to take the chance on uh, the Gaines family and vice versa, but also just to be willing to open up his life. Um, I can't even imagine doing that. So uh, really um, so much um, thanks and gratitude um, to Jetro. Certainly a lot has been said about the Gaines family, but couldn't have done it without you either. So um, parenting is hard, not, not to mention being able to be filmed while you're, you're parenting, a teenager no less. So, um, so a great thank you to you really for being willing to do this and for coming and speaking on multiple occasions about the work that you do. You spend day in and day out, like your day jobs, and then certainly um, raising children as well. So, um, also, Sacramento Probation Department, um, they found the Gates family. We kind of reached out to lots of different people. Many also want to thank the probation departments that participated in focus groups um, to really um, embark on this project, but could not have done it without the great work of Chief Yarber and his staff, uh, some of whom you'll see in the documentary and you'll hear from um, during the panel conversation. Um, Elizabeth, uh, she managed the project. Uh, helped organize everything, kept it on track, and so really could not have done it uh, without you. And so really do want to thank you for all the partnership and um, assistance that you provided both to those on the production team, who I will thank next, but to all those who participated in various parts of the planning process. 
And then certainly all of the production team, to Joe, um, to Fraser, to Lori, to Lilia, you made this come to life. You carried out the vision. Um, you captured the moments, put it all together, and it would not have been possible without all of you. And so definitely I want to thank you. And certainly um, Joe will be having an impact uh, for years and years and years to come. And so um, what greater gift can someone leave? And so uh, with that, I uh, <coughs> just want to express my gratitude on behalf of the Chief Probation Officers of California and all the staff as well to each of you. Um, and welcome, uh, Lori. Happy to Hello, everybody. There's some familiar faces here. So um, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a policy advocate and strategic communications consultant with about three decades of experience, um, most of it at the intersection of child welfare and juvenile justice. Oh, Phil is saying talk louder. OK, or use this. OK, cool. Is that better? Uh, Okay, really a thing, not necessarily. Okay, but um, uh, so what I would like to share um, with all of you is the uh, love and passion that went behind uh, this documentary today as um, exemplified by the director whose name was Joe Strike. And I say whose name was Joe Strike because um, Joe passed away from cancer in October. And... Um, so I'm just going to share with you a little bit and try not to cry, um, but I, I think it would help to like feel who Joe was. Um, those of you who were filmed by Joe or had Joe in your home know that she was a very caring and loving person who was able to capture those moments because she, you know, exuded that love and care. But I, I thought I'd give you a little bit of her journey so that you would understand the experience that she brought to this project. Um, so um, Joe and I, uh, our first project together was in 1997 when she was newly arrived in San Francisco from Texas. She was already an accomplished documentarian. She did a film about Ross Perot, which won a lot of awards. And if you can imagine, uh, hopefully there's enough people in the room who remember who Ross Perot was. <laughs> um, um, and she came to work with me on, um, I had this amazing uh, grant from the California Wellness Foundation um, for their violence prevention initiative. Um, heady money at that time, it was $10 million. And we spent about a million dollars on a video conference that linked um, 21 locations across California who watched a live interactive conference from Sacramento and Los Angeles. Um, at the time, there were 10,000 uh, young people, disproportionately black and brown, um, that were incarcerated in youth prisons, what was formerly known as California Youth Authority. And the, one of the main policy objectives of that initiative was to change that, which um, I just happened to have like the evaluation. And so I can tell you that this was the, in, before, you had web, uh, before you had the web, really. So things were alive. Um, and the live really helped because the interactivity that had happened in the download locations and the working sessions helped formulate um, a pressure from below, from the local communities up to the state 
And I'm not saying that we were totally responsible, but we were had a role in passing things like SB 1756 and other legislation, including uh, realignment. Um, so from that initial production, Joe went on to produce another video conference with me that was called Keeping You Safe, and that was equally bold and impactful. Um, and we also then went on to document the lives of 50 unsung heroes who were awarded what were called California Peace Prizes. Some of you may remember those. Um, a lot of folks won them over the years, everybody from Len Edwards to uh, Father Greg Boyle, et cetera, as well as a lot of unsung heroes. And so she and I filmed, you know, youth centers in Stockton and um, uh, domestic violence shelters in Riverside. And so we got to know each other. We, we were on the road a lot. We did about 50 of those. Um, and then specifically to CPOC, um, I've done work with CPOC now for, I don't know, close to 25 years. Um, but when I was contacted by Rosie, I think, I forgot how many years ago it was, to produce another video, comp uh, another documentary, which was uh, called The Doc Decade of Progress. And that was to um, uh, celebrate, really, the uh, realignment. And um, so my point here is we knew this terrain. So we didn't walk into doing this documentary without knowing the policy issues and, in fact, a lot of the people. Um, another related project, and I say we have Cheryl here and we have some folks from uh, CDSS, but I also, we also did a lot of work on CCR reform and specifically helped with um, explaining, uh, uh, Cheryl mentioned how probation is unique in the country. So probation was part of the waiver project. And for the waiver project, the chosen intervention was wraparound. And I went to a bunch of collaborates, collaborations, I forgot what they called it, convenings or whatever, um, with probation. And they were like, we need a tool to explain what wraparound is. So we did a video about wraparound. So tonight you're going to see, uh, today you're going to see in, um, some of the footage from those other two things. So not all of this happened at the Gaines house. Okay. <laughs> so some of the footage came from the Decade of Progress, some of the footage came from the wraparound videos um, paid for by Casey family actually. So that's why you'll see Casey family listed. Um, so um, I just thought that was important to give you that background. And so when Rosie came to me in um, March of 2020, it was right at the beginning of COVID, and said, we can't have our CPOC conference, uh, but we have the dollars. So how about a documentary? <laughs> um, so it was kind of full circle for, for us to work on that. And the original vision for the documentary was something that would uh, coincide with the CCR conference. So we were trying to show the progress of continuum of care reform. Remember, there were 10,000 youth in CYA where did they go, you know? Um, some stepped down to group homes and some were able to, um, something that I would never have imagined in 1997, um, being able to be placed with family. You know, you remember those times, right? The idea that this tsunami of youth predators would someday end up in loving homes, you know? So there was a lot of destigmatization, I would say, that has happened in the last two decades. So with Rosie's vision, with um, Elizabeth's amazing strategic consulting on it, um, with Lilia, you know, uh, and I speaking to probation officers from many, many different counties, we finally found the Gaines family. And I can tell you, we 
kept having, it was sort of whack-a-mole. We'd kind of find a family in Los Angeles and then the placement blew up, you know, or some other situation. So when we found the Gaines family, it was amazing. And the amazing thing was I had been in lots of policy meetings with Kevin and I had no idea he was the Gaines family. <laughs> so that really helped. Um, so frankly, we finished the production. It was very trying because it was during COVID. Sometimes our shoots would have to be canceled because somebody got COVID. Um, so anyway, we finished the, all the production in um, uh, June of uh, 2022. Uh, and um, Joe called me from the hospital, um, something's up. Anyway, they discovered cancer. Um, she went through an enormously trying experience with many rounds of chemo and eventually surgery. And um, Rosie graciously gave us an extension on the due date for the film because I just couldn't imagine finishing it without Joe. It was so much her heart, you know, it was so much of her in here. But she struggled and, you know, her, her, her beloved partner is here, Phil, and, you know, he was an amazing support during this experience. But she came out of the hospital for after two months or something, after the surgery, two and a half months. They removed a 26-pound tumor. And if you know who Joe was, that's a lot. Um, but mm. she got out of the hospital and she said, I'm finishing it. And she worked her butt off and, you know, as sick as she was and did finish it. We premiered it in May and um, at the uh, CPAC conference. Um, she appeared on video screen, so she was part of the panel then, uh, which was great. Um, but then after that, she, um, you know, really wasn't able to do much at all. And um, anyway, um, I can truthfully say that um, these policy changes that I was trying to kind of orient you to, and I know a lot of you here know this, um, but I, I truly believe that these would not have happened without the storytelling. Like we have, a, when I say to you 10,000 youth in, in uh, CYA, that's just a big number. But if you look at somebody like Jetro, you know he could have been one more number in CYA and now he has a future. So it, we need to um, understand that Joe's storytelling, her creativity and skills, um, I believe contributed to this kind of massive policy changing and every time um, I see audiences with visual stories, that's emotion. And you need both hearts and as well as minds to make the world a better place. So, um, you know, Joe, uh, she always said, I'll be watching you. So thank you, Joe. I think, well, actually, we will do introductions because there's one person, um, the unsung folks who are behind the camera, everyone doesn't get to meet. So I will actually do a little bit of introductions and uh, perhaps allow them maybe to share just, you know, a quick um, what your re initial reaction when we approached each of you to, um, or when probation did, or um, to participate in this project. And so we'll let Frazier start. Frazier, uh, was um, on the production crew, cameraman, 
sound, all of those things. And so he is sitting right here. And so really do want to, to thank you, um, Fraser, for all of your expertise that you brought and skill. And so I'll let you kick it off. And then um, and then I think, and then Anthony, who was in the film, but um, Anthony Mays, who is one of the deputy probation, senior deputy probation officers who works worked with Jetro. And then we have chief uh, probation officer, Marlon Yarber, and then Kevin Gaines and Hillary Gaines. So we'll start with you, Fraser. Hi, I'm Fraser Bradshaw. I am a, uh, I'm a cinematographer primarily, and I've worked with Joe Streit, who was the director and producer for 20 years before her passing. Um, and so I was the director of photography, the primary cinematographer on this project. Um, and when Joe, th there was a previous version of the film, and when Joe knew that she wasn't going to be around to get the film to the place she wanted it to be, she turned it over to me and she had all the hard drives sent to me and asked me to finish it. So mm -hmm. what we just saw tonight represents um, the, the work that I've done to try to bring it a more documentary sensibility and, um, and make it a hopefully a more heartfelt um, and engaging work. And prior to this project, did you have any experience, any, did you know anything about resource parents, foster family agencies, probate, did you, any of that? I, I knew nothing, um, I, but having been part of it, I, it's, it's been very moving. Um, and I actually said to my wife the other night, we were, I was, had her watch it with me to sort of see if she had any last minute notes before I locked the picture. Um, and I said, should we consider being foster parents? <laughs> well, you are an introvert, but maybe let's wait till our kid goes to college. And I said, good. So I, I might become a foster parent because of this project. Well, your, your work paid off then because that's what we want everyone to feel when they watch, watch the film. So, so well done to all of you. Um, Anthony, we can go to you next if you want okay. to share a little bit about, I don't, I'm sure you had lots of thoughts when they said, hey, you want to participate in right. this project. Um, yeah, I had the same thought after watching it. I want to be a foster parent too. <laughs> so it's like, now, hi, my name's Anthony Mays. Uh, been with the Sacramento County Probation for 25 plus years. And when I was approached to, about this documentary, I said, no way. I don't want to be on film. You know, uh, and I'll, and at the time, um, I kind of moved on to a different part of uh, placement. So I thought like I was kind of out of touch with Jetro because um, a new probation officer took over. Uh, was working, you know, at the time um, this was film was, you know, being, you know, recorded or in the, in the making. So, um, but. Somehow or another, I, I'm not sure why or I got wrapped up back into coming out to the gains. I don't know if Hillary called me and said, hey, you need to get over here. Um, but uh, it was really, it was quite an experience because it was an all day filming. And for like 10 hours of film, I was only in there for like one minute. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, wow. And, and, and so, Believe it or not, um, I saw, this is I first time I saw it today. I was back at the office. I saw the longer version mm -hmm. of it, and I was really actually touched 
Um, the way it came out, I thought it was very professionally done. And everything that you saw that went in the household, the way the, the gains work with the foster youth, is to the T. There was nothing made up, nothing over, you know. And I, I was, I've been in that house. I've seen both, um, both of them work with the youth. Um, so I thought it was really realistic. And then after watching it, I was like really happy and to be proud of it, this documentary. And you obviously made an impression, had an impact on Jetro because he spoke of you in, in the film. So I think um, it's testament to the work that it, you... Right, I'm still wondering why too, uh, because... <laughs> Yeah, what did he say that I was? You were heck of nice. Heck of nice, yeah. I'm not even sure what that is. I was like, so um, I real. You never sit down and really think about yourself and how you perceive yourself. And when you work with these youth, and I never really gave it much thought about my approach with them. And when I sit down and work with them, you just just do it and get it done. And and I and then when. I was like, you can't say something like, oh, yeah, he's a badass or something like that. Or, <laughs> no, but, but um, so it, it's kind of refreshing to see that, you know, he sees me as that way. Um, I think, Chief Yarber, your, your role has changed quite a bit um, since the filming started to, to now being the chief. And so um, I don't know, as you've seen the film and, and spent time now, I mean, what are your your initial reaction when approached and now kind of having seen it and, and your department does so much, really embraced resource family recruitment and so forth, what kind of thoughts come to mind for you? Sure. Uh, it's funny, you know, watching it again, um, it, you know, they caught the title change, like, oh, you know, since become the chief. So like, oh, thank you for that, whoever <laughs> made that, that adjustment. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, listening to Anthony is funny because I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know how much choice we all had to do it so right. as assistant chief you know our then chief like hey you know would you mind doing this and it's kind of like one of those things you know your boss asks you to do something like how much room do you really have to say no yeah. uh and so you know i don't know maybe you know hillary was the boss in this right. scenario perhaps uh you know the the thing uh I was struck by was just the the bags under my eyes and so for those of you you know who work in our field you know uh you know foster care placement specifically is like such a small part of what probation does as a as a whole uh, but it's you know truly significant obviously just given what we're talking about here tonight uh, and so the badge I was like oh I remember cramming as if I was in school to make sure I knew all of these elements of CCNR and uh, you know what's our latest recruitment effort and what was the budget and the, the geo mapping and disbursement of advertisements to recruit more, you know, uh, RFAs, more resource families. And so I remember that having this a little bit of PS, PSD, PTSD for me. Uh, but no, um, actually listening to Anthony right now, that's the rewarding piece. And I think I'm, I'm also moved by is just, you know, it's great to hear kind of the, the um, connection, the engagement that we support as leadership in our department. You know, it's really part of our philosophy, you know, recognizing, I think I said it in the video, but uh, in the film, um, you know, all kids make mistakes and it's on us to sort of, you know, meet them where they're at, provide those supports, you know, ensure that the guardrails are in place. Uh, you know, that's really um, just really rewarding to hear, you know, him talk about it and see Jetro obviously responding in such a positive way to Anthony's efforts. 
Yeah, it's really um, a testament to the collective the work and the the partnership that needs to happen. That it's not it's a, a sum total of everyone's involvement. It isn't just any one person um, or entity that really makes it all work. Um, so whether or not you have to cram, and I do want to also call it, you notice they didn't say that CPOC, it was their bosses, so um, that, as they're being voluntold, so <laughs> for participation. True. Now the bags are just because, you know, I'm the chief now, like, yeah, I don't really, yeah. Yes. So, um, so Kevin and Hillary, if you could each share, I know, um, you know, we talked about the courage that Jetro had to um, participate in the film, but also come and stay with you, but also, you know the courage that you had, and to and the the willingness to embark on this project with all of us. Um, in addition to the the many hats that you wear and so forth. And so, as you think about now, sort of the journey you've been on, um, sort of what kind of thoughts do you have now? Kind of sitting here, seeing the film, and kind of talking about it now. Kind of where where you were and where you are now. Just sharing your, your perspective, the journey that you've been on being a resource parent and kind of seeing the film, which I know you've seen before, but just, you know, the perspective, the journey you've been on and your, just the thoughts that come as you have watched the film today. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of memories come up. Um, <laughs> you know, first, um, um, as far as the making of the, the documentary, I, it was presented to us first as you know, we're one family of five. And so it's, it's really, you know, overall it's kind of shocking to see that as the outcome. <laughs> um, but but over over the years, I mean, I think uh, I think eight? Eight, eight is total. The okay. Yeah. Um, um, over the years I it 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 uh, just sparked so many memories of of uh, difficulties and and commitments the the thing that I was thinking about as we were having that conversation and you know why are we doing this <laughs> oh yeah um, I thought of the first um, the first placement that we got out of out of um, out of probation um, oh yeah, yeah yeah and and having to fight the the, the, the fight with uh, with the DA with um, um, CPS with CPS and with not necessarily with probation because they, they weren't part of the, the mix yet. Um, no, they were, but they, they were? were in a different. Yeah, because okay. the kid was in detention, so and, they were and, there. <laughs> yeah, okay. So so it wasn't um, uh, it wasn't Jetro. It was a it was another young man. SF. We'll call him SF. <laughs> yeah. And and having to um, to to go before a judge and 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 answer questions about you know what mm -hmm. the the I remember. Um, the, the question that I remember the most is, well, what if this guy decides to turn on you and your grandkids? What are you prepared to do? And what, what do you think about that? Are you thinking about that as you, as you decide to take this young man into your home? In open court in, in front of the court, judge. In front of a judge. And, and um, I honestly don't remember what my response was, but I remember the outcome and we, got, we, we were able to convince the judge to, to give us a shot. Um, and just being able to, to relay that, uh, that was 2017 and to, to today, you know, him calling you mom and yeah. saying, I love you, I love you mom, you know, um, just last week, um, being able to visit him in his, in his current, you know, he's 22, 23, 23. And, and just being able to, to 
you know, he's not all together, but doggone it, <laughs> you know, what, what would have that have been if, if, we, if, we, if we failed, right? Well, and so that, the, 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 the film just kind of brought all of that to the surface. And I, I'm, to be perfectly honest, I mean, you know, I'm a little, I don't know, maybe it's, I don't know. I'm getting old, so, you know, the <laughs> testosterone is moving off in the wrong direction. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm moved. Yeah, yeah moved. I'm moved. Yeah, there you go. I'm moved. Well, and I think you touched on, you both touched on a few, several different things, actually, like being able to have safety, but I think just the, all the partners that need to be um, a part of the process and to buy in to being able to, for the judge to allow probation to move forward to, to place the youth with a foster family. I mean, it's really changed the dynamics just over time since, even if we just think back to 2017, to now, and I remember having those conversations. Well, you know, we have to make sure that you know we have to get the judges on board. And there's public safety partners. When we were talking about, you know, just the beginning of you know negotiations on 403 and having the time to to recruit and find those individuals and build those supports. That frankly, we're still trying to do now. We have yes, many you youth on probation side, the child welfare side and the supports that allowed a lot of the services that are mentioned here is so critical. And so I think that's also some of the, the message that we want to share. And I think, um, Hillary, you touched on, you know, just the work of Anthony. I think, you know, balancing, because all of that is what probation needs to be doing and does do is the safety, but the support, the, the setting, the, um, the boundaries and accountability, but also the opportunities and the belief that we all make mistakes, but we all, we all have the capacity for change and that it's a process. You know, there's a step back, there's two steps forward and so forth. And so I think uh, you just all touched on, on quite a bit. And so um, do thank you for sharing. And um, I was trying to kind of start with more easy questions as we kind of talk through everything. So, so um, thank you for that. Um, so I think um, as we think about sort of where we are, I think um, maybe Anthony, if you could share a little bit about sort of how you see like your role when you were working in placement kind of expanding and how it, how it changed over time, for, or did it change over time? Or do you see that the role that you played in resource family, was that always what probation was doing, but perhaps in a different way? Um, do you, did you see, um, do you see things that had changed or do you think that was, was that always in your work and it's just, been increased um okay so i kind of walked into the situation that was already set up um she mentioned the uh, prior youth that was in the house and that's when i first met the gains uh so i worked with him with two foster youth and so when i walked it was already set up i walked in and it, it was like a train that was already on a track going this direction and I, I showed up at the house, I walked in and saw how this train was going. I was like, okay, you better not screw this up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so um, so the, it was a, Hillary mentioned in the documentary, the partnership. I walked in and I knew right away that it's gonna take a partnership of me working with them and other resources to keep this kid on track. And it, w with my time working with them, it has not changed. It was, 
we stayed on track, we stayed focused, and during the time, even with uh, Jetro, it, it didn't change. Um, so there wasn't a lot of change during the time when I worked with them. Um, we, we all had a role. Uh, we all looked at each other as a partnership. There was a lot of respect that went towards each other. So I don't see, um, there wasn't much change. And I'm, obviously there, there's, there's change now because our department, uh, you know, has changed in the way that we do the supervision and the officers that work with the gains. So I'm not part of that, so I can, it's hard to answer, you know, the changes that were made and how it's working right now. Yeah, thank you for that. And I was thinking more as we've implemented CCR and, and the work that, that probation's been doing, and you spoke to kind of you being walking into the home and the work that was done prior, and then just being able to continue to continue that work and then build that relationship um, that was so critical, and I think is so critical to and was exemplified in, in what we saw in the film and the, the comments from from Jetro, um, Hillary and Kevin. What do you think um, you know are the most common misconceptions that you might hear from from others about what it is to care for and support a youth who's on probation that really if there was one thing that you would wish everyone would know that goes into this work or is considering it to help sort of allay their fears not to say that it's not going to be hard not to say that we want to sugarcoat anything but to really um things that maybe are are not true or just mis misunderstood per se i would say um for, for those who would, generally uh, those who are considering, um, um, I guess, a home-like setting um, for probation have already considered a home-like setting for, for those who are in the dependency system. And I think I made an argument in the, in the, in the documentary that they're, they're the same kids. You know, some have been caught up in one system and some are caught up in another. And so for us to think of them as radically different from one another, um, um, I think is a mistake. And, and I'm, I would love to, to, to throw that uh, misconception just in, in the garbage in, with this documentary and, and any other tools that we can think about because, um, you know, uh, we all have challenges. I mean, every family has it. And, and I would go as far as to posit that, that many of the things that you'll see in a in a, in a home with a juvenile justice youth or a dependent youth are, are similar situations that you would find with adolescents in, in any American home anywhere. And so uh, a lot of us are, are tackling the challenges that, that, that we'll face with, with the youth in juvenile justice anyway. So that's, that's one of the misconceptions I would love to, to be able to, to, uh, to nip in the bud. Yeah, and I guess one question I would have for those, um, because you mentioned you you had the other children, and so what do you see as the, I'm going a little bit off kind of our prepped questions, but something you said um, just kind of reminded me of that, but what would be the biggest difference between the, or is there, the parenting that you do for your bio children, let's say, versus the, the parenting that you have done that, or, and continue to do, because we all know, 
you know, we are always parents, <laughs> um, no matter how old our children are, that you, have, that you do for with Jetro and the other, because you have mentioned that you've um, cared for other youth as well. So um, I have three biological children of my own, and two of them were really off the chain as adolescents. So <laughs> um, uh, I was, they were great training ground for serving high-risk kids, let me just tell you that to start with. Um, so we personally don't parent the kids differently in the context of relationship. Like we said in the film, we take them everywhere we go. We hold them to the same standards and expectations. The big difference are foster youth rights and the you know, licensing requirements and whatnot of what we can and can't do. And to be very honest, sometimes those rights create problems for the youth, right? So let's just take phones for an example. Um, we had a dependent in our home who decided to make terrorist threats to a girl at our church who ended up on probation, right? Because he had this phone and it's personal property and we can't take it until a judge said, you can't have a phone because now you're using it wrong, right? And so if it was my bio kid, I would have just taken the phone, right? I don't need permission. So there's these system pieces that create these challenges for foster families, for the kids, right? Because they're not making good choices um, that we would have to do, we, we would do differently with our bio kids. But I think that's the primary difference. We really are intentional about um, treating them like one of the family and expecting our extended family to accept them and treat them like one of the family. By the way, uh, there's a workaround for that whole cell phone scenario. There's a workaround. I don't know if I want to give it away. People can come find you. Yeah, come, come find me. There's a workaround. We can help you get connected. Um, but I think, and I think that's the reality, and that's the information you know that that we want to share. That you know they are placed there, you know, by the courts. There, um, there's a reason the courts are are involved. But youth do have rights. But how do you balance all of that? How do you parent within that? How do you also, as you touched on, you have all these different people that are coming into your home, and, and there's a reason for that, obviously, but how do you balance and try to also kind of live your life and do those things and care for the young person while you also have all these other things that you have to be in compliance with? And so, um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, and one of the things I think that was touched on in, in the film as well is just the, the partners, the various partners, and I know that, um, for Sacramento County Probation and many other probation departments. Um, you know, some are partnering with um, child welfare on doing their recruitment and retention and support and have really um, gone on that, that journey together. There's other departments that are like, we really want to do all of it. And so Sacramento is one of those probation departments that um, has taken on that role. And so I think if you want to share maybe Chief Yarber, um, what the response has been, but how important have the other partners that are involved that probation works with around the community, just on recruitment and so forth, and others, um, how critical has that been in, in the work that probation is doing? Yeah, the recruitment is uh, everything. Yeah, and I think one of the things um, that was touched on is, you know, changing how, um, especially for a young person when they can be impulsive, how they react to things, knowing that you know things are going to come up, they're going to, to happen, something happened that resulted in the young person being on probation, but having that support from probation, knowing that 
they have to be available to you and be prepared to be available to you, as well as the other organizations that you get linked up with um, by probation as well. Um, one of the other things that was touched on is the various tools. And so when I think about that, um, Fraser, I wanted to come back to you um, as you know, one of the motivations for embarking on the documentary was to be able to have something that probation departments, you know, and could partner with foster family agencies to show and help tell a story as you were speaking to earlier, Lori. And so certainly not everyone's going to be able to go out and make their own documentary because that's, you know, not possible. But are there other things that, you know, different tools, you know, whether it's, you know, recording it on your iPhone or different things perhaps that people could do to make uh, a documentary light that really highlights what their individual counties are doing that they could use um, from, a, from, a, um, from your perspective and the profession that you have. And so recommendations or ideas that you might have from that perspective. That is a good question. Um, filmmaking is a very labor-intensive undertaking. Um, and it's kind of a hard one bunch of skills. So there's no easy way to get to something that is Im as impactful as this. Um, I mean, it, even for professionals, you know, it took months to get it to the point where it, it's making the impact it does. Um, but, I, you know, a friend said to me a long time ago when I was in art school, that if you make work that is honest, it will always find an audience and it will always resonate. So that's my advice is point your iPhone at something, at yourself, or at someone else, and, and get honesty. Because honesty and authenticity always communicate the truth. If you try to make something slick and classy and you don't have that skill set, it's just going to look sloppy and, and lame. But if it's real and it's true, it will just cut through all that. So that's, that's free advice for everyone on, on how to <laughs> kind of take what we've seen today and, you know, perhaps maybe you only can do like a three-minute version, you know, or mm -hmm. something, but um, wanted to, to think through how others might take moments or experiences that perhaps happen at the local level and in your own jurisdictions and kind of take from that. Um, and as we think about sort of the, the journey that um, we've been on and how um, young people's um, lives kind of ebb and flow and well and everyone's life really as we talked about you know we all are kind of putting it all together and, and so forth and um, it's a journey for all of us but what what is your relationship like and how um, with Jethro today you mentioned there's you know foster youth that kind of come in and out or call you after it's been a long time or really any of the the youth that you've, you've served um you've um, how have you been able to stay in, in touch with, with them and, and how has that evolved over time? <laughs> you. Me answer? Um, we just saw him last Friday. Uh, he turned 21 recently, this, this month. And uh, he just stays in contact. I mean, you know, he, Maze knows this. <laughs> He's, uh, he, he, he can make himself scarce. He's great at making himself scarce when he wants to. But when he wants to, he knows where to find us. And he does. And doggone it, um, every time is a surprise where you just go, boy, you know, that's, that's what I end up doing a lot. So um, Friday was one of those experiences. 
Um, showed up for a haircut impromptu, so, yeah. you know. It sounds like a 21-year-old, right? Like, they need something, and, and they know you're there. Right. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of them will um, hit me on social media or um, my cell phone. My number hasn't changed in, like, 21 years, so everybody knows it by heart, right? And they'll be like, hey, can I ask you a question? And, you know, during COVID, one of our foster youth, his mom was in the hospital um, dying and he didn't know how to get in there because of the COVID restrictions. So he's like, how do I get in there? So in really hard times, they'll call and reach out in many instances. And then um, SF, who Kevin talked about earlier, like he kind of, we lost track of him for a while and then he popped back up and now I get calls from him almost every day and um, sometimes multiple times a day. <laughs> and um, and that was a huge success because he had so many attachment issues. So the, and uh, he's black, I'm white, and he had a lot of distrust of white females because of a trauma incident. And so the fact that he now just calls me mom instead of Miss Hillary, and he tells people like, oh, you're my mom. He tells all his roommates, I'm calling my mom. She's the police mom. <laughs> I don't know why, because I'm not, you know, but I'm associated with probation. Um, but it's, it's a real affinity and attachment. And so it took years and, and trials for that to grow. But when he came across our life and when Jetro came across our life, it's like they need somebody permanent, a permanent relationship that you don't have to live with us forever, but we're there. And I think that's one of the things that we really strive to do for every single kid, even the kids that leave in a, a huff and blow out. Um, because not everything is perfect, right? We've had to give notice on a couple of kids, um, but we're still here, right? Just because you couldn't live with us doesn't mean we don't care and doesn't mean we won't help you out if you circle back. And so I think that's the, that's the thing with Jetro and with all of them. We really just try to be steady, be consistent, and be people of our word. Thank you for that. Thank you for, for all that, that you guys do. And I think um, as we think about, um, you know, as we mentioned, there, there's many youth we know that are in the same position as Jetro and across the state, across the country. And so hopefully this, this film will allow us to, as, um, as people, to really, in systems and, but just as humans, be able to really support one another through the work that we do um, and really partner to help identify safe homes for for young people and we know you know there's there's many youth that are served by probation and not all can you know be served in a, in a foster family home and so that's not necessarily the, the right place for all youth and so we have to you know be realistic about that and I think you know one of the things that came out in the film too is just the the reality and being having those boundaries and that accountability and there's a role for everyone to play I think um, Pam Lowe is the one that she said that, you know, there's a role for probation, there's a role for the parent, there's a role for the young person. And so really being able for everyone to identify their roles and fulfill that and be consistent. And I think all of you are just a testament to, to that work and to the passion that everyone brings to, to their daily life and the work that you do. And so um, I guess in closing, I would just, um, if there's any um, lasting, uh, um, takeaway that you would have for anyone considering um, being a resource parent, I guess, and then I think uh, for, for the two of you, but I think um, Anthony and Chief Yarber, if there's anything specific you would like them to know about working with probation. Um, so if you can ponder that, that you would want to share, but I think um, 
and then I'll, I'll give you a different uh, closing question. But um, Hillary and uh, Kevin, if you would like to, to go first, like your biggest advice, perhaps. Okay, so one piece of, um, so, so we both have worked in, uh, as, as you saw in the film, uh, I work in the, the statewide policy end, and she's been working on, on service delivery for a good portion of her career. And even, um, even though we know more about how the system works and how it's supposed to work than your average Joe out there, um, we still have challenges in making that collaboration work. Um, but, but one of the elements of continuum of care reform is, hey, there is a, a unique individual here who has unique needs and the outcome may be unique, but we'll, interventions have to be flexible enough to tweak and to, to adjust to make sure that we meet the need. And so hard to do that within a large system with, with dozens of thousands of children. It's, hard, it's just hard to do that. Um, but one of the things I would, I would offer as, as some advice is um, know that those flexibilities are possible, but the closed mouth doesn't get fit. So if you ask for what you need and when the system says no, because it's a bureaucracy and standardization is just, I'm sorry, I'm part of it, it, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to flexibility at the outset. No can't be the, the, you can't stop at the first no. I'll just put it that way. So that's what I would, that's what I would um, um, advise above anything else. And just to piggyback on that, I think the foster family agency and is a huge advocate when you're a family and you're trying to like work the system to get the, the needs of the youth met. And that's where Mays came in and his um, counterparts when he you know, wasn't the probation officer serving our family. Um, they, there's actually really, I think a lot of probation officers that I've spoken with, they don't understand the actual power that they have in that dynamic to make sure that things are happening and, um, and how they can really come in and, and counterweight to the nose in some instances, as long as they're not the no, mind you, but you know, like they can create a counterweight to other system partners that may be um, struggling to see how to be creative. So um, rely on your probation officer that's assigned, rely on the foster family agency staff, talk to them, communicate, because it really can make a difference. Yes, I would agree. Agreed, agreed. Yes. And hopefully that is, that is what happens after this. Um, and I know that many probation departments are utilizing the film um, that you have, and you and Joe and all those involved have put together, Frazier. And so for you, as you kind of are on to maybe perhaps new projects and so forth. I think what has been um, for you like the most impactful um, part of this filmmaking um, as you've gone on this journey, because I know as we started, you talked about how um, you know that wasn't this wasn't something that you were familiar with, and so now kind of looking back and uh, perhaps one day we will know you as a resource parent. But as you look back on the project, though, what what was has been most impactful for you? Oh, I mean, the, the real gift of working on documentary films is you get to meet really a, amazing people doing amazing work that you would never come across any other way. And this set of people are truly amazing people. They are top tier, and I have met some really great people, and these are as good as I have ever met. 
And that is an incredible privilege. And I will take that with me into all my future work. And so um, I think with that, I just really want to, to thank you, um, the both of you for your, um, all that you do and have done, I think, and appreciate everyone spending the time with us um, this evening, but really, you know, thank you for the work that you did to put this film together. And certainly I know um, towards the end, I'm sure it was um, obviously quite emotional for you. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, we asked um, Frazier to put that slide in at the very end. And so really do appreciate all of that and the partnership. And as we mentioned, all the different groups and individuals that were a part of the process and really um, just thank you all for, for your time, for your commitment and for your, your partnership. Um, and all of you. So um, and I wish everyone a wonderful evening and, and thank you again. <laughs>